Hey, thanks so much for joining us on our channel today. We wanna to encourage you to subscribe and like today's video. Also, today's word is brought to you by our Truth Partners. These are people who want to financially invest to help us get this message of truth to around the nation and around the world. You can become a Truth Partner today by simply going to creativechurch.com give. Again, thank you for partnering with us on this message of truth, and thank you for liking and subscribing to today's video. God bless you. I pray this sermon blesses your life. Hey, if you would just honor uh, the word of the Lord with me and just stand to your feet, go with me in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. So open them up, turn them on, however you want to do it, or just look at the screen. But the book of Philippians chapter two, um, go Vikings. That slipped out, my goodness, I'm sorry. <laughs> Philippians chapter two, uh, verse five says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made of himself no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, everybody say Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Father, bless this time, bless this word, but something that is said, God, just, just change our hearts. Stir our hearts to love. Let us realize how valuable each and every one of us are to you. And Lord, as I take just a few moments to preach publicly, I ask that the Holy Spirit would move up and down every row, every aisle, and preach a private, personal sermon to every person in this room that we would leave saying it was good to be in the house of the Lord. In Jesus' name, somebody, anybody, everybody said amen. amen. Give him praise one more time. You can be seated. Let's go to work. I want to use the full explanation of this text uh, to talk about what do we do when life makes us feel insignificant, when life makes us feel small or not valuable or worthless or when what we're hoping for and dreaming for or believing for doesn't happen. You know, like many kids are believing for that one toy and you know, maybe they didn't get that one thing and the look of disappointment on their face. Many of us are believing God to do things in our life. And what do we do when God doesn't do what we want him to do, when how we want him to do it, with who we want him to do it? How do we handle life's disappointments? You know, the reality is Jesus did come in the form of a baby, that he came in the form of an embryo, half the size of a grain of sand. That when we think of Jesus, most of the time we consider him this, you know, 30-something-year-old, uh, good-looking guy and, you know, often paintings. He's got this glow around him like he works at a nuclear power plant or something like that. And, uh, but Jesus came as a baby. And he reduced himself 
to the form of humanity. Hey, I just want to take a moment and let you know that today's sermon is brought to you by our Truth Partners. If you're interested in being a Truth Partner, simply go to creativechurch.com slash give and select Truth Partners today. Again, please subscribe and like today's video. It's blessing you. It's blessing your family. And hey, let's get back to the word. I apologize. I don't know if it's my beard or whatnot, but have grace for me. He, he, he placed himself in the womb of a 14-year-old virgin named Mary. And he came out and dwelt among us. And the Bible says that we beheld the wonder of his glory, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That what he did was so beautiful that the Jewish people struggled to find words to explain it. That what he did was so big and so magnificent that the writers had trouble trying to describe the magnitude of his love for us, that what they ultimately referred to it as the exceeding greatness of God. That when you finally think you've clocked God at his greatest point, he exceeds it again. And when you finally think you've clocked him at that great point, he exceeds it again. That every time I was amazed at a prophet, he sent a priest. And every time I was amazed at a priest, he sent a judge. And every time I was amazed at a judge, he sent a king. And then finally the king steps off the throne and gives his son, and then the son gives his life. It's the exceeding greatness of God. Don't put God in a box and think my God can do this and no more. Your God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, and above all that we may ask or even think according to the power that worketh within you. And... This passage says that Jesus was a part of the Godhead, that he is a part of the Trinity. How many of you believe in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that he's not an assistant God, he's not a, a lesser God, that he is, he, he considered it not robbery to consider himself equal with God, but he made of himself no reputation. Genesis tells us in chapter one, verse 26, that let us make man in our image, our image, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So Jesus was fully present at the creation miracle. That Colossians 1.17 says that he is before all things, that he holds all things together and by him all things consist. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That he went from this all-powerful position in heaven where all he had known was the glory of heaven, the majesty of heaven, and he reduced himself down to an embryo half the size of a grain of sand, came in the form of humanity, placed himself in the womb of a 14-year-old virgin, and the word was made flesh. To be our kinsman redeemer, to be able to relate to me, tempted in all areas like we are yet without sin. My question to all of us tonight is how do we handle when life moves us from a high place to a low place? How do we handle life when we move from a happy place to a sad place, to a place that is very peaceful to very hateful? How do we deal with life's disappointments? How do we handle when what we wanted God to do, it just, it doesn't happen? whether it, it's big or even small. I'm a, I fly Delta. Anybody else fly Delta in here? Any other Delta people? And, and I'm, I'm always every year trying to work on my status to get higher. You know, they got this, this 
classes. It's the only sector left in humanity where we have classes. You know, it's like, so there's these different classes of levels, and I'm trying to get more miles so I can be upgraded, and you get free upgrades. So Joanne and I were traveling. We bought these two coach tickets, and so we get right up to the gate, and right before we get ready to board, she gets upgraded to first class, and I didn't. And I said, well, don't you want to deny that so you can sit with me? And she's like, dub deuce, peace out. You're on your own. And so she boards early. She's sitting there drinking her cranberry juice and eating the peanuts. And and here I come walking past her with the normal people all the way into the back of the plane. So we get in the... You know, back of the plane, and there's always the flight attendant that goes to the, they have that little see-through curtain, you know, and pulls, just grabs that curtain and looks at everyone in coach for a moment. Maybe if you'd have worked a little harder, I wouldn't have to do this. What do you do when what you were hoping for doesn't happen? You know, many times it's, it's this feeling of like, where is God, and God, where are you? Are you aware of what I'm going through? Are you aware of what's happening in my marriage? Are you aware of what's happening in my family or my health? It's kind of like us as, as parents. If you're visiting, you don't know Joanne. I have eight kids. And I don't even like kids. I like Joanne, but I got eight kids nonetheless from it. But we've got eight kids. And, and, uh, and we, Joanne and I were sitting on the couch the other day, and we realized out of these eight kids, we didn't, we didn't see a kid. And then we didn't hear a kid. And any parent in here knows if you don't see a kid or hear a kid, they're up to. And I just thought about that. And when I said that, there was something that we were going through in our own life. And I thought, you know, sometimes we don't see God and sometimes we don't hear God. But if we're going through a situation and we don't see God and we don't hear God, I came tonight to tell you, God is up to something. And he's up to something for your good. Come on, you believe that tonight? God is up to something for your good. Good. You can't just take the one ingredient uh, that is, is challenging. We're all getting ready to bake dishes and, and cook all kinds of great food, comfort foods and family traditions. And, you know, a lot of those ingredients that you cook, you pull one ingredient out and taste it, it can be bitter. I mean, go home and take a big scoop of baking powder and taste that. You know, go home and, and get that scoop of cocoa powder and you think it's going to taste good and it is horrific, right? You're like, you're like, but when you mix it all together, it can create something Wonderful. Don't pull one ingredient out of your life and judge your life based on that one ingredient. Don't pull one moment out of your life and and base that moment on that that one situation or that one circumstance. It reminds me of a a story that I heard this year. And um, Tommy Barnett told me this story. And and, uh, he said, you know, there was a story of a champion fighter. He, was, he had never lost a battle. He was a champion fighter, and he got challenged to a fight. And so he, he accepted the challenge, and they get out there, and everybody's believing for the champ to win, and the fight kicks off, and round one, the champ comes out swinging, man. He's hitting this guy left, right, and center. Round one, two, three, four, five, champ is dominating the fight. I mean, he's killing this guy. Round six, round seven, round eight, it's all the champ. Round nine, the last round, The champ takes it on the chin, and he goes down. And when he goes down, everybody is shocked. I mean, you can just feel the oxygen go out of the room. Nobody can believe that the champ got hit. And so the ref runs over to the the mat. He gets down on the ground. He starts hitting the mat. One, two, he's counting three, four, five. He's not moving. 
Round I mean, uh, six, seven, he gets up to his knees. Eight, he's, he's almost up. Nine, the champ stands up. The bell rings, fight's over. Now, if any of you know anything about boxing, unless there's a knockout and you go all nine rounds, the, the fight goes to the judges to decide who won. And so because the champ won eight of the nine rounds, they hold his hand up. He's still the champion. He wins the fight. So I said, what's the moral of the story? He said, the moral of the story is that boxing judges tend to be better judges of people's character than Christians because boxing judges count every round and not just the one round you took it on the chin. I don't know how you feel, but I don't want to be judged by one round. I don't want to be judged by one moment. I don't want to be judged by one bad ingredient. I want someone to look at the full circumference of my life. And I came tonight to tell you, God looks at every word, every day. God looks at the years of our life. God has a way of working all things for the good of them that love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. But he abased himself. And he that knew no sin became sin. He took upon himself all the sins of the world. I mean, Jesus went through so many challenges. Even that Christmas morning, I, I know we like to glamorize it in Hollywood and cartoons and there's always that beautiful manger and all the animals are reverent and the little pig is bowing its head and the little chicken is folding its wings and, 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 and all of the, the donkey is, is kind of bowing down and I doubt it was like that. I, I doubt it was like that. I, I mean, only, only God would birth a king in a barn. I mean, the first, the first year of his life, Jesus is on the run as an illegal immigrant trying to, trying to stay alive from a genocide order from King Herod to kill all firstborn male children, all male children under the age of two to, to murder them. He's, he's literally running for his life and and it was not a, a glamorous Christmas. It was not a, a, a wonderful situation. I mean, Joseph had to feel like a failure. You got one job. Find a place. Fail. You know? I mean, when you think about the male contribution to humanity, it's, it's somewhat minimal when you think of, like, getting, getting that baby here. You know, I mean, poor Mary, she's in a manger. I mean, in this situation, in this barn, only God would birth a king in a barn. Even within his life, I mean, he would give his life to a man three and a half years who he would befriend and pour into ultimately just to betray him. And even at his darkest moment, his closest friends would walk away from him. He went to the cross, he was beaten he was whipped, he was stripped naked, humiliated and spat upon. And the Bible says he opened not his mouth. He went down into hell after he was murdered and set captives free for our sin and for yours. And thank God on Easter Sunday, he rose from the dead with all power in his hand and said, I am he that was dead, but behold, I am alive and alive forevermore. He took our place. And he didn't just walk away from heaven 
for a week or a month or a year, 33 and a half years. He walked with us and talked with us. He abased himself and made of himself no reputation. He took upon himself the role of a servant. He washed the disciples' feet. He served. The Bible tells us that he did not come to be served, but to serve. That the life of a Christian is one of service. It is worship. What is worship? Worship is doing what God wants you to do when you don't want to do it. That's what worship is. That's exact. Worship is not singing. Worship is sacrifice. It's doing what God wants you to do when you don't want to do it. And he took upon the sins of the world, all of our gossip and pride and lying and bitterness and hate. He took it. And in a dark moment, he became the light of the world. And that's what we're called to be, a city set on a hill. But God's not called you to be a light in light. He's called you to be a light in darkness. It reminds me of a great painter, many of you probably have heard, who's gone on to be with the Lord, Thomas Kincaid. And he had studios all over America, and his paintings were so significant because they said somehow he was able to capture light in the paintings. It was like light came from the painting. What many of you may not know is that Thomas Kincaid was, uh, as a young man, his, his mother was a single mother. She had to work all the time. And many times when he would come home from school, the house would be dark because she would be working, couldn't afford to pay all these light bills. And so every time he saw his house, his house would always be dark. And it really bothered him. And he began to know about Jesus and hear about Jesus. And he said, I feel like God's called me to paint light, that I'm to be a warrior of light. And if you've ever been in a Thomas Kincaid studio, all of those rooms where the paintings are have dimmers on them. And when you walk in to see the painting, the person that is showing you the painting will, will dim the lights. And the darker it gets in the room, the brighter the light comes from those windows. And he says, I'm to be a light in darkness. And I believe that that's what we're called to be. We're called to be warriors of light. That the darker it gets in our world, the darker it gets in our situation, the darker it may get in our family or around friends, we are called to be the light of the world and to show Jesus to a hurting and dark world. Somebody say amen. But you've got to realize that you are worth something to God. You're so valuable. You're worth so much to Jesus. So many people think that they're not worth anything. They sell themselves short. They, they walk around as if they don't have value. I came tonight to tell you, you are so valuable to Jesus. And if the enemy can't stop you from being valuable, he'll try to stop you from feeling valuable. A lot of us sell ourselves short or we walk around with low self-esteem because you don't realize your worth. You are worth so much to the Lord. What makes you valuable is the story, the ups and downs in your life. It, re it reminds me of this famous story about a key. And for many of you, this key, you wouldn't think it has any value. It's just a key. Anybody willing to give me $1,000 for the key? $10,000 for this key? Anybody would love to write a check right now for $25,000, $50,000 for this key? Yeah, nobody. It's just, it's just a key until you realize the story. See, nobody has a key that's just straight up when it's cut. 
We like to say we got saved and my life just took off, but if we're honest, our life has had a lot of ups and downs. And every key that you have in your purse or uh, in your jacket, every key has ups and downs. And it's the ups and downs in your life that allow you the opportunity to unlock your destiny. And when you realize that it's not just the good things in my life, but it's also the low moments of my life, that I realize that all things, everybody say all things, not just the good things, but all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. Well, this key uh, is, just looks insignificant until you realize that this key um, belonged to a metal box that was attached to a crow's nest that was attached to the front smokestack of a famous ship called the Titanic. And the day before this ship was to set sail, one sailor accidentally had this key in his pocket and got sick and couldn't make the voyage. But he, in staying home, had the key. And so this key goes to this metal box on a crow's nest on the front stack of the Titanic, and in that metal box is a pair of binoculars. And it's believed that if this key had been on the ship, they'd have been able to unlock the metal door, grab the binoculars, see the iceberg, and have saved the ship. This key sold for $210,000. How many of you would give me $1,000 for that key? Now what wasn't worth anything to you 60 seconds ago is now worth a lot to you because you know the story. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the story I have for you, declares the Lord. A story to prosper you, a story to bless you. God has plans and purposes for your life. You are worth so much to Jesus. You are worth so much to the Lord. I was uh, in my car just the other day and um, you may laugh at me, but I just realized I have satellite radio. I didn't know I had that. That's, that's a nice feature to get five years into the car. So, um, so I, I realized I had satellite radio and, uh, and I was going through it with the kids and there's a Christmas station that you can listen to and it's just Christmas carols. And so one of the most beautiful Christmas carols started to play on it. And I, it had never jumped out to me the way it jumped out to me, but I'm driving around and it jumps out to me. And the, the, the verse says, and, it, and the soul felt its worth. The soul felt its worth. Your soul. The Bible says, what good is it if a man gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You are worth so much to God. One of the things I love about David when he writes Psalms is he would even speak to his own. He'd speak to his soul. He'd say, rejoice, O soul. Come on, stir up soul, awaken, O soul, spring up, O soul. He would encourage himself. He even writes in Psalms 23, he says, he restoreth my soul. Every parent in here right now needs to have their soul restored because kids want to own your soul. And he, come on, every parent say it with me. He restoreth my soul. Your soul is worth something to God. You know, one of the things I love about our church is our church is big on saving babies. We're big on letting moms know, hey, you have a choice to choose life. You can choose life. You don't have to choose to abort that baby. You can choose life. Well, I don't have a family. You do have a family. It's called the family of God. You can choose life because people say my body, my choice. Yeah, but it's not just a body. That body has a soul attached to it. 
that baby has a soul. You're not just a body. You're body, soul, and spirit. You're three in one, like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is three in one. It's not just a body. That, that baby's not just a body. It's also a soul. What is a soul worth to God? You are worth something to the Lord. And I just came tonight to encourage you. You're worth more than you think you are. I, um, you can come play something soft for me as I wrap up, but uh, there's a show on TV that I watch every now and then called, um, I think it's called like Antique Road Show or something. Anybody ever seen that show? I'm the only one in here that's ever seen it. Okay, so. But, but basically what happens is they, they go around the nation and they, they tell people, bring these like antique things to us and we'll tell you what they're worth. And I love watching it because you always see some, some guy and he's like, yeah, I got this, you know, as a kid from Papa and he got it from his Papa and it's been sitting up in the attic for 50 years and I don't know, it's, I don't know what's worth 10 bucks or I got it at a yard sale, it's only worth, you know, I paid five bucks for it. And, and then there'll be these master auctioneers there, these, these master uh, um, antique dealers. And, and every time they look at it, they always pick it up and they look for something. They're looking for a mark. They're looking for a mark. And as soon as they see that mark of the maker, they say, oh, oh, you don't know what you have here. He, this guy doesn't think it's worth anything. He, he may have bought it at a yard sale from somebody else who didn't think it was worth anything. You got it for what? $5? This is worth $50,000. This is worth a million dollars. This is worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Because you see this little mark right here? You see that mark? You see, I, I know from the outside you didn't think it was worth anything. That's why you had it in the attic. But, but this mark means it's worth more than you can imagine. Christmas is not just a mark on the calendar. Christmas is the day Jesus marked our lives with his worth. Your soul needs to feel its worth this Christmas. Maybe you don't like how you look. But your soul needs to feel its worth. Maybe you don't have everything that you wanted to have, but your soul needs to feel its worth. Maybe you don't have the money that you thought you'd have, and maybe you don't have the job that you thought you'd have, or maybe, maybe life just hasn't given you what you were hoping for. But there's this other part in that song that says, a thrill of hope. Paul says, if we had no hope, we'd be of all men most miserable. And I just want to encourage you in this Christmas season, with all the gifts and all the food and all the family and all the friends, one of the greatest gifts you could give your family this Christmas is a prophetic word that you speak over their life. Speak a blessing over them. That many of you could literally heal your family with your words. That when God heals you, he leaves medicine inside of you to heal someone else. That you're a walking pharmacy of God's grace. You're a walking pharmacy of his love and his mercy. And don't let the world pull you into its hate and its frustration. Pull them into your peace. Pull them into your hope. Pull them into your worth. This Christmas, get on the phone and call mom. Call dad if they're not with you. Get a hold of your grandparents. If you're blessed enough to have your great-grandparents, make sure you get a hold of them. Let them know what they're worth to you. Make sure your spouse knows what they're worth to you. Make sure your children know what they're worth to you. And make sure 
you let the Lord know what he's worth to you. You're so valuable to God. You don't have time for low self-esteem. You don't have time for all these other negative thoughts. You got to believe the price that he paid for you. You're worth something. You've been marked. It's like Pastor Joanne, when she, she wants something, she tells me I'm worth it. Turn to somebody and say, I'm worth it. I'm worth it. You should see her in the jewelry store. She'll put a ring on and say, do you want me to have it? <laughs> but you're supposed to say that. Do you want me to have it? I see ladies writing that down. Do you want me to have it? This Christmas, let this Christmas be a Christmas that everyone in your family knows their worth to you because you are worth something to the Lord. Come on, you get something out of this tonight. Come on, give Jesus a big praise. Hey, if this sermon blessed you and your family, I wanna encourage you to be a truth partner. You can do that by simply going to creativechurch.com slash give and partnering with us to help get this message of truth out to more people in our nation and around the world. It is our truth partners that make this a reality. Again, thank you for subscribing to our channel. Thank you for liking today's video. We'll see you back here on the channel real soon.